Hello and welcome everyone to Night Off. We are back this week. We have got some business to attend to. I am Alex. I am joined by my best friends and co-hosts, Walsh and Derek. We talk wrestling, we talk video games, we talk about whatever nonsense is on our minds. Uh, today we've got quite a bit in store and I've got to make good on a promise I made last time. But before we get into it, if you like what we do, if you're into this sort of thing, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on YouTube, we're on Amazon Music, we're on all the socials at Night Off Pod. So, boys, how you doing tonight? Doing great. Doing great. Feeling pretty good. Yeah, yeah, feeling Excited. good. Excited. Yeah. Excited. So, first thing we got to get is something that I made a promise to last time for this video that Derek, editing Derek, spent quite a bit of time on, and is a bit of a challenge mm -hmm. for our friend Walsh here. Um, Walsh, no pressure. I got a lot of faith in you. I know you can do hey, this. If you I got get this, buddy. one, I'm going to be surprised at myself. <laughs> you got this, buddy. Anything Derek was looking out for you. Yeah, you're going to... For... You've got this. Yeah. Is it the wrestlers that have the names on the pants? Uh, I don't yep. think... Yeah, yep. They've yep. got... They've oh, got... Just covered. Yep. Head to toe, nothing yeah. but their names. Uh, don't worry, uh, audio listeners, that you will also be able to play along. Uh, we have this set up so that you can actually hear this. So, Yeah, fingers crossed this actually works and we know what we're doing for once. Exactly. We have this set up where you can hear this. Yeah. All right. Kicking it off. Oh, I love this intro you put together, Derek. Thank you. I had fun. <laughs> So many unprotected chair shots. Mm. Getting to mix in all these deadly hits with chair shots. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> the music. You know, Shawn Michaels, when I put my title on the line in the Survivor Series, it's going to be a real interesting contest. Because everybody knows what the excellence of execution can do. This belt... The World Wrestling Federation Championship title belt. Okay, Walsh. Oh man. <laughs> I feel like I I feel like I know this one. And if I'm wrong, I look like an idiot, but that's Brett the Hitman Hart, right? You got that fucking right, dude. That is Brett Hart. Yes. That is the Hitman. Job, buddy. The excellence in execution. The best there ever was. The best there ever is. I'm at 100%. I you know, think we'll stop here. <laughs> never, ever let the peons see you sweat. But right now, I'm certain that even you notice the perspiration popping out on my royal face. Well, it's from the revulsion that I am experiencing. Okay. Who's this? You're familiar. I know you're familiar. You've got to be. So, to some extent. He's a uh... Memphis legend. Lawler? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jerry. Yeah. That's uh -huh. fucking. You are batting a hundred today. Man, two for oh. two. Two for two. Man, this is. I am a man of <laughs> The key. The key is to quell my passion before the battle. Release my passion in the battle. But tonight. Ooh, okay. The short hair totally helps. <laughs> punk. Hell yeah. yeah! He is knocking this out of the park, man. He is. Oh man, the long hair was throwing me off. I was like, <laughs> maybe if I put short hair on him. terrifying i love it i love it all of that's somewhere way in the back i think i'm gonna give him it if he gets point if he gets part of it he's he's a main feature in one of our series <laughs> he is a main event feature in one of our series he's a, derek's a big I fan I got nothing. Nothing's coming. Like, you got I feel I have heard it, and it's like gone in one ear and out the other. And it's like, <laughs> oh no, it's going. No, didn't stay. Do you want to give any sort of guess at all? Oh. Yes. Shot in the dark. I mean, 
I mean, you just go the classic clown of Bozo, but... <laughs> no, I mean, you're half right. It is a clown. It is. It is a clown, very, yeah. He gets very half Very specifically, point. Doink the Clown. Yep, I have heard that. <laughs> my boy Doink. That's my boy Doink. Oh, boy. Uh, editing Derek saved us on that one. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Audience, you probably know that clip. Very oh, yeah. Well. This is one that is, like, just known outside of the wrestling community for yep. its infamy. He was a king at one point. He was a king. The greatest. He is now featured as a commentator on NXT. Yep. Oh, Went viral for uh, ordering DoorDash during somebody's match. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Who was the announcer? Booker T? Dude, you are killing it. Bravo. Is that right? My, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Dude. I can remember something. Yeah. Oh. Bravo, my boy. I did. How many was that? You got... One four out of five. Yeah, like I'm four and a half. Yeah, I mean, four and a half. Four so and a half. Like, you got like let's say like eighty-five percent. Dude. That's amazing. You did fuck you did way better than I I mean I had faith in you, but you nailed every single one of them. I thought it was gonna take you a little bit of time on some of them, but you nailed them all pretty quickly. Yeah. I actually I thought I was gonna trip you up on two or three of those, but uh I only know two uh Make sure I use better uh, images. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The cut to like the still definitely helped like having the video and the still in my head. Yeah, that might change for the future. That yeah. might change for the future. Ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's going to get harder from here. I feel like. it actually will. I don't yeah. need to, the stills don't matter from this point on. I can tell you that much. All right. If they're getting harder, I get multiple choice. Oh, okay. Derek, I want you to brainstorm with me later on some alternative names that we can come up with for some of the wrestlers in the next one. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. I will do that. I will. Uh, I will see about adding that. Uh, Maybe it'll be an entirely different segment. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but okay. If you enjoyed that, please let us know. Send us a comment on YouTube. Hit us up on social media. Let us know. And give us some ideas, because Walsh is never going to check the social media for any information about ones that we can use in the future, too. Also, let me know what you got. I want to know your scores. Oh, yeah. Drop your score in the bottom there. No cheating. Did I'm you watching beat you. me? Probably. <laughs> I mean, you did pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Oh, uh, yeah, that was a good one. That was fun. Uh, and the first one up there is very... Uh, timely because that leads us into what I wanted to get into today, uh, which is something that is not just infamous in wrestling. It is probably the most like talked about event in all of wrestling history. Uh, and certainly in the modern day, uh, it's something that is probably going to be debated till I don't know, Vince McMahon is dead and he has, like, something in his will about something that he recorded to be played when he was dead? I'm not sure. <laughs> We're talking about the Montreal Screwjob, a.k.a. Brett Screwed Brett. So, uh, whilst you specifically said that you didn't look up anything about what we were going to be talking today. Correct. Yeah. I have Do, no idea what this is. You have zero idea. Derek, where it is... It involves Vince McMahon, and you said Brett, so I'm assuming Bret Hart. Yeah. And I think yes. Derek said The Undertaker earlier, and I don't know if that has anything to do with this, so 50-50 on that. Yeah, yeah. There's some key people involved. Uh, Derek, you've got probably about the same level of me as far as knowledge of, like, the events that transpired. Uh, yeah, I would say so, Yeah. Yeah, I've spent the past week just refreshing my memory on this. I went back and just 
rewatched uh, Wrestling with Shadows last night, which I'm going to get into. I'm going to give you some more detail about what that is. Uh, Dark Side of the Ring episode about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into like the meat of the event, bit of background. Uh, Survivor Series 1997, November 9th, is when this happened. So leading up to Survivor Series was kind of a couple of different things that were shifting the momentum of wrestling as a whole. This is in the period after WCW gets started and starts moving into taking a little bit of a position against the WWF. So, 93, Hulk Hogan leaves the WWF, leaves wrestling entirely, he starts acting. You know, he's in the period where, you know, he had done Rocky Three. Now he's currently doing Thunder in Paradise. And at this point in time, Vince McMahon doesn't have a draw like Hulk Hogan. So he starts looking for people to bring up to the top. That's when people are jockeying for Hulk's position in the WWF. The other key thing that happened at this point in time was the steroid trials. So... Mm -hmm the U.S. government has started coming down on steroid use in professional sports, and there was a specific doctor that they targeted when it came to powerlifting. Uh, his name was Dr. Zaharian, and he was also the doctor that was providing a lot of steroids to wrestlers in the industry. And yeah. this led to the steroid trials. This is how the WWF got involved. This caused a shift in who was getting pushed to the main card, who Vince's favorites were. Because Vince is historically a giant, muscly, meat of a mountain, ultimate warrior-looking dudes, but he has to rethink his business now. Uh, I want to cover the steroid trials in more depth in the future, but it's key to know at this point in time that this caused the shift for Brett to be pushed higher up the card. Him and Shawn Michaels, the smaller guys that were more technically based, more move based, more showman based, and less, you know, just hulking physique based wrestlers have become the main draws in the company. Well, and also more believable, too. Yeah. Uh, for their sizes, you might be able to see yourself in them a lot better than you could see yourself in, like, the Hulk or Andre the Giant or Macho Man Randy Savage. So. Yeah, wrestling becomes less, like, superhero-based, more reality-based kind of entertainment. Less This is where you start to see more... Yeah, you're seeing more shoots happen at this point, too. Yeah, which is kind of, like, prime right there. So, 94 is the steroid trials. That goes in the favor of Vince McMahon, amazingly. So, he's got a... You know, he's cleared of the conspiracy charges and everything that they were bringing against him. 95, uh, September 95, WCW Nitro premieres. And it goes right up against Raw. And they are very different from the start because they are live, whereas Raw is taped ahead of time. That's the first sort of thing. So it gives this experience of, like, anything can happen with wrestling. And Lex Luger, who was big guy at WWF, he was one of Vince's guys, he was getting pushed real hard, is on that premiere of WCW Nitro, and following behind him is Alondra Blaze, who uh, debuts as Madusa, and at the mm-hmm. time, she was the WWF Women's Champion, and she appears on WCW Nitro live with Vince's Women's Championship belt and drops it in the trash. And Yeah, you know, this just, is basically the first blood being drawn in the Monday Night Wars. Exactly. And this is where, like, WCW starts to make a name as being a kind of, like, shoot live, anything can happen production, and starts to put uh, Vince McMahon on his back feet. Now, closely after this is uh, May 96, another infamous event at a house show at Madison Square Garden. It's referred to as the Curtain Call. So what was happening is uh, Ted Turner, Eric Bischoff from WCW are building up WCW's roster with Vince's, you know, guys, basically. 
Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are jumping ship to WCW. This isn't mm-hmm. hugely known to the fans because, you know, they're Razor Ramon, they're Diesel. Um, yep. Like, you know, I'm sure, like, the Dirt Sheets had reported on it. And their last show is this house show where they're tagging with, against uh, Triple H and Sean. End of the show, uh, they're hugging, they're mugging to the crowd, you know, they're giving them a go-away. It's a house show, it's not recorded, but fans have cameras, word gets out, and this is like one of the major fourth wall and kayfabe breaking events in wrestling history. Because we're talking about faces and heels interacting in a friendly manner in front of the crowd, just pissing on kayfabe in general. And Mm -hmm. the fallout from this is, it varies. Like, Scott and Nash, they're leaving. They're going to WCW. They're debuting over there. And Vince can't really do anything about it. Sean is getting pushed to the moon at this point as a singles competitor. And Vince doesn't want to throw that money away. So most of this falls on Triple H. He kind of eats the shit for this. And now... WWF is losing the ratings war consistently. And Nitro is overtaking him. This is during that period of, like, uh, Bischoff's 83 weeks they likes to tout that he was beating, you know, Vince McMahon consistently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so, it, and it was noticeable numbers, too. Yeah. So this is to kind of put you in the mind space of where Vince was at. And he is losing... His main money market. He is losing every Monday night. He is just, he's bleeding his top stars. He is losing money, all of that. And he's trying to build new. Now, uh, with Hogan gone, his main top babyface is Bret Hart. And Bret is loyal to Vince. Brett started working for Vince because Vince bought Brett's dad's promotion up in Canada, Stampede Wrestling, and mm-hmm. Brett looks at Vince like a father figure, you know? Um, he's loyal to Vince, and leading up to uh, Survivor Series comes a very defining event in the history of like Brett's career, because he is getting offers for WCW. I think the final number was like $3 million per year for three years. So they were going to pay Brett $9 million to work for them when his contract was up, and he didn't want to do it. And not only that, like it was either like half or less than half the amount of shows that he was under contract to do for WWF in that moment. Yeah, and... Brett being the kind of guy that Brett is, he talks to Vince. He wants to work with Vince. He takes a deal that is essentially like, it's less money per year, but it's a 20-year contract. So he would be wrestling under Vince till uh, 2016, I believe is the math on that. And that is kind of like where things go wrong. Because Vince says, I'm losing money. And that summer of 97, he tells Brett, I can't uh, honor this deal. Brett is heartbroken about this. He still wants to work for Vince. And he tries working it out. Vince basically says, yeah, I love you. I want to keep you. But I can't make it work. He can't make the money work. He doesn't really try to keep Brett around. And that's, I think, what kills Brett the most in this. He's, like I said, he's he sees Vince as a father figure. He's loyal. Like, he brings his kids backstage to shows. He's, mm-hmm. you know, like, he's a, not just like a company guy. He's been wrestling for WWE his, you know, professional career in entirety at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, not only that, though, when it comes to the Canadian audience, Brett is the hit for Canada at this point for anything that WWF is having being reached out up that far. 
He's so, a Canadian hero. Yeah, so losing Brett is actually a major hit to his pocketbook regardless. Yeah. Regardless. And which is another thing that was happening during this time is in order to compete against WCW, Vince is trying new things beyond just like, okay, I don't have the roided out monsters anymore. He's trying more uh, risque kind of uh, entertainment. It's more sexualized. It's uh, guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin are getting more attention. And this rubs Brett the wrong way in the aspect of he's a traditionalist when it comes to wrestling. You know, he likes clear faces. He likes clear heels. Uh, and yep. he wants to be the hero, you know, in his mind because that's what he's good at. You know, he's very genuine about the character Hitman as he sees him. Mm -hmm. uh, so much so that, like, when Vince tells him that he's not, you know, going to honor the 20-year contract is where Brett starts kind of speaking out against the content that WWF is putting out. This is where he starts incorporating more of the shoot elements into his character, and he's also not happy with having to turn heel for the first time. And they do something weird with Brett's heel turn. Uh, he becomes specifically an anti-American character. Mm -hmm. He is still getting cheered in Canada, but he's getting booed in the U.S. specifically because he is just going out and trashing the United States, but he's still like being uh, the type of face character everywhere else internationally where... You know, you go out and you do what you say you're going to do, and that's what a face does. The only difference is now he's trashing on the United States. He's, I mean, I'll be honest, and the promos that he's doing are still things that you could trash on the United States for, you know, health care, gun violence, uh -huh. uh, racism, political divides, all of that. Yep, yep. Now, I mean, this is also during that time where Vince is trying to find a workaround mm -hmm. for the deal that he's made with Brett, because I believe in that deal, that sweetheart deal that Brett took, he gets creative control somewhat over his character. Yeah. And uh, the way to work around it was to be like, okay, you get to be uh, a face when you're up in your home turf, but down mm -hmm. here you can't be. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, uh, Brett always wanted, like, he had what he always called uh, reasonable creative control over his character. Mm -hmm. Now, some other things uh, that are going on at this point in time is uh, Brett and Sean's rivalry. Now, they're two yeah. very different wrestlers, but they wrestle very well together with their conflicting styles. Brett being a more, you know, map-based, technical-based style, whereas Sean mm -hmm. is the entertainer. He's more high-flying. He's more bombastic. He's, you know, he's playing to the cheap sheets, uh, seats in the background, you know? And right. this is where they start to butt heads is outside of the ring because Sean, to this day, he'll admit it, he had a massive ego. He also had a drug problem, but this is more about his ego. You know, he was, uh, yeah. he was a special little guy. Powder. Yeah. He loved that special white powder, that, that snow. And he has no problem with the direction. He's kind of the forefront of this direction with the WWF where it's, you know, more sexualized. It's more graphic. It's more vulgar. Uh, yep. and when they're building this rivalry, there's, you know, there's some, you know, live rounds thrown during promos. Uh, you know, they apparently, like, cleared some of this stuff beforehand, but it still kind of hurt. Like, Brett bringing up Sean being in Playgirl and playing up to the very homophobic crowd that was, you know, WWF's main audience at the time. And yep. in response, Sean dropped a little bit of allegations about, you know, Brett having an affair with Sonny, which crossed the line <laughs> at some point. Who knows uh, if there's any validity to that? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, yeah, it caused quite the stir in the locker room, though, for a while. Mm-hmm. For a while. Yeah, one thing you don't do is, you know, talk about, you know, somebody's home life. And that got that line got crossed very hard there. And that's something, like, you know, not even the crowd Maya would have picked up on. That was just a legit barb. Uh, mm-hmm. This got really heated to a point where there was a legit backstage scrap with... Uh, Brett ripping out a chunk of Sean's hair and Sean bursting into Vince's office when they're having probably a writer's meeting, I think, and he, you know, plops it down on the table. Uh, Jim Cornette quoting as describing it as a small possum being put on the desk and Sean <laughs> calling this an unsafe working environment. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, like, the problem is. Up to this point in all of it, Brett is getting screwed over, over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. And he is still being the loyal dog that he is. Yeah. So this is like the first kind of breaking point where you kind of see him bite. And it's, I'm sorry, Sean, but you you, you earned it. (laughs) Like, your own antics brought this on. So... And, you know, that's something that I think is important to note about Bret Hart and the way he was raised with Stu Hart and the dungeon. If you go back and watch Wrestling With Shadows, you will see that there is a pattern of, I would describe it as abuse, uh, because Stu's, like, way of raising his 12 goddamn kids and anyone else that he could find at the YMCA and he could trick them to coming back to the house would be taking them to the dungeon, the basement in their house, and putting them in real submissions and stretching, you know, people out, you know, really hurting people yeah. for mm-hmm. hours at a time. Because that was the way, you know, Stu showed affection. He was an abusive piece of shit. He was a father who would, you know, put his kids in fucking chokeholds you know, put them in arm bars, things like that. And I think that kind of builds kind of Brett's personality of why he is like a repeatedly a kicked dog, why he takes so much abuse over the years. I, I think it also explains why he's also a perfectionist too. Yeah. Because like, don't get me wrong. Like his, he's amazing in the ring because his hits and everything are perfect every single time. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with if he didn't hit something perfect, it was a failure. Yeah. So that's the gist of there's more details. There's more stories. There's more things that transpire between Brett and Sean specifically. There's a couple of matches that are all time classics that lead up to this. But mm-hmm. this all leads to Brett leaving the company after he's you know, signed with WCW and he's got about 30 days left on his contract with the WWF leading up to his final, what is scheduled to be his final match at Survivor Series in Montreal. Now, the problem with this, well, specifically is Brett is the WWF World Heavyweight Champion at that time. And Vince doesn't want to repeat with a laundry blaze with his champion going to his competitor, still holding that belt. Um, what? But he also has some creative control over his character. Yeah. So Vince can't just outright make a move. Yeah. And this is where all of everything that happens following get murky. Because different people claim different things. Different people have different levels of knowledge at different times. There's uh, a handful of people that are undeniably involved. You have Vince McMahon, Jerry Briscoe, Pat Patterson, Shawn Michaels, Vince Russo, Jim Cornette, and Earl Hebner. Now, different people like to take credit for it now these days. The basics of it are you have Pat Patterson and Jerry Briscoe who are backstage guys that do a lot of the producing of segments, producing of matches, 
uh, running the show, you know, and like the day-to-day, you know, getting the logistics done. You've got Vince Russo and Jim Cornette, two writers who hate each other more than any two people I've ever seen in my fucking life. So much so that Jim Cornette has it in his will that he has to live, outlive Vince Russo so he can piss on his grave kind of hate. Yep. Um, Earl Hebner claims to be the last person informed, uh, Shawn Michaels being like a day before. So the thing that puts a wrinkle into all of these details is the documentary Wrestling with Shadows. Brett is being followed by a camera crew who is documenting his time in the WWF all the way up into this event itself. So there's tons of footage of Brett's mindset going on and the actual event itself leading up to the match. So much so that he is wearing a mic backstage during this final conversation before the match that he has with Vince, uh, which Vince is not aware of. I know. <laughs> so the in the spicy yeah in the recorded version of it, you can hear him and Vince agreeing that what they'll do is it'll be a disqualification with what they is referred to as a schmaz. At the end, a, a schmaz is a bunch of people interfering at the end of a match where nobody can make heads or tails of what's happening. So it's just disqualified and it's called off. And that's kind of the way that, you know, Brett wants to go out. Brett is also very willing to drop the belt. Um, he would prefer it not to be a Sean, but he'll do it. He'll drop the belt to Sean. He just doesn't want it to be in Canada. Uh, he wants to go with his head held up high. Um, and kind of what they decide is, you know, we'll do a disqualification tonight. It's a Sunday. We'll go out on Raw the next day. And I'll just, you know, vacate the title and walk away clean. And that's the way that they agree that they're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's the way, you know, Brett wants to go. Uh, this whole time, unknown to Brett, Vince has already put plans into motion to stop that from happening. And it's a pretty straightforward, like, proceeding of events that take place where Sean's been informed and Vince has kind of laid the groundwork for what will happen during the match itself. Um... As far as what was supposed to happen and what does happen, it goes pretty quickly and sticks to the plan till almost the very end. They have a brawl. It gets taken outside the ring before the bell even is rung. And there's a lot of back and forth brawling. There's some crowd work till eventually they actually bring it into the ring and a match starts to take place because... You know, there was real heat between Sean and Brett, but they were able to work together. The crowd was on fire for it. And what goes wrong is what they agreed upon what would happen. So what's supposed to happen is Sean is supposed to get Brett in Brett's submission signature finisher, the sharpshooter. Yep. And what's supposed to happen is he does that, Brett is supposed to reach back, grab Sean's foot, pull him out of it, and reverse him into the sharpshooter himself, and then proceed along with the match. What leads up to this is there's a little bit of back and forth with a top rope maneuver where Brett comes down and hits referee Earl Hebner. He's supposed to be you know, a ref. He's made of glass. He's supposed to be out for a little bit. What happens is he hits Earl, Earl goes down, sharpshooter's in place, and Earl Hebner bounces right up before this and calls for the bell while Brett has not tapped. And immediately is when shit starts to hit the fan. Because mm-hmm. Brett knows something's up. Vince, at this point in time, was still like a commentator, 
he was still like providing like color commentary during matches. He's not at the announce desk for this match. He is ringside. So are a handful of other people, which you know should be enough to kind of like set off conspiracy alarm bells. Brett should have mm-hmm. probably picked up on this. What he, Brett hears in this moment before the bell is rung is Vince McMahon specifically shouting, ring the fucking bell before Earl Hebner calls for it. Immediately. Yeah, you can actually see in the video where Brett is, grabs Sean's mm-hmm. uh, ankle. He's In this moment, he's still playing out the what's actually supposed to happen. Yeah. Now, what happens next is sort of like, all hands on deck. Let's get everything taken care of right away. Let's get, you know, like, let's put out the fire before things get any worse. Sean is immediately, like, out of the ring. Vince forces him to pick up the the title belt and get the fuck out. Um, the crowd at home on the pay-per-view, their final shot is Sean Michaels walking backstage with the belt in hand. And... The crowd in the arena is, they know something happened. They don't know what. They're furious because they're in Montreal. They're in Canada. Brett's their hero. They don't want to see him lose like this. And they don't know that this is not going the way that Brett wanted it to go. They don't know the the behind-the-scenes mystique. They don't know any of that. Brett, in the ring is in complete disbelief and is fuming. He's getting visibly more upset. He just hawks a loogie right on Vince's face, right at ringside. And, you know, tells him, fuck you, all this screaming at him. Vince gets hurried backstage, uh, quickly behind Sean. Brett and the rest of the Hart Foundation, his family members are in the ring because they were prepared for, like, you know, the planned finish, which was, you know, a bunch of people rushing the ring and causing a disqualification. And they're kind of, like, not just confused and furious, but they're also, like, trying to keep the peace with Brett, who starts trashing the announce desk. He is throwing, you know, $1,000, you know, TVs and audio equipment on the fucking ground. He's smashing shit up. He uh, signs WCW in the ring. You know, to the hard camera, telling the crowd he loves them, and he's, you know, fucking fuming. What I mean, all hell broke loose, not just in front of everyone, but behind the scenes, too. I mean, Earl Hebner, I believe the moment he finished calling it, he runs out the the entire stadium so that he can get into the car with his brother and they take off. So they yeah. and they go they go AWOL for a while and hide. Yeah, they he literally locks himself in his hotel room. Yeah. To hide. Uh Vince and uh I think it was Pat Patterson and maybe a couple other people locked themselves in Vince's office immediately afterwards. Um Shane was there, I believe, too. Uh Shane McMahon was yeah. in the office at the time. Yeah, he was somewhere around there. Uh Sean is the only one who doesn't like immediately turn tail and run. He just kind of like posts himself up back in the locker room. And mm-hmm. in the documentary, you can see uh, Brett come back in there and question Sean about this. And Sean feigns ignorance. He tells him he didn't know this was going to happen. He wasn't in on it. He's like, my hands are clean are his exact mm-hmm. words at the time. And eventually what happens is Taker. uh, being uninformed about this, also goes back, knocks on Vince's door, and he's Vince's right-hand guy at this point. He's Vince's enforcer. He's the guy who you know runs the locker room, and he tells Vince like how pissed off he is, and tells him, "Look, you gotta go talk to Brett before this gets any worse." And he gets Vince into the locker room with Sean, with Brett, with a couple other people. And he keeps everybody else separated out. Um, also, this is one of the key moments where the documentary crew is not right on top of Brett. They're not next to him. They're in the hallway with uh, Brett's heart, Brett Hart's wife, Julie, uh, Triple H, mm-hmm. 
um, the British Bulldog, uh, Brett's uh, brother-in-law, uh, Brett's brother Owen, and a couple other people who are kind of like on edge a little bit and trying to not cause a bigger scene. Uh, mm -hmm. Julie being the one to kind of uh, lay down the law with Triple H and calling him out and saying that he knew and he knew everything and how ashamed he should be, like what goes around comes around. Uh, it's one of those things where I'm not sure. I haven't seen much about what Triple H knew at what point in time. Uh, there's reason to believe he was informed. He was, you know, Sean's best friend. They were in degeneration. Yeah, yeah it's, mm -hmm. you know, this, you know, Triple H like was a backstage guy. Yeah. Yeah, like outside kayfabe, they're actually good friends. So I have a feeling he knew. He yeah. had to know. There's yeah. no way. There's no way. So what happens in the locker room with Vince and Brett is Brett basically sell, tells him, like, look, I'm going to go take a shower. If you're still here, you don't want to be. And Vince stays behind. And Brett comes out of the shower. He goes, look, this is not going to be good for you. I don't want to deal with you. Whatever you got to say, I don't want to hear it. I'm just pissed off. And just Vince not backing down takes one good shot from Brett. Brett claims he uppercut him, knocked him off his feet, knocked him out. Uh, and that says that he thinks it was more of an overhand kind of hit because he mm -hmm. had to get through like six guys. He still yeah. like a lot of people don't understand how he was able to get through all of them. But when you're angry, man, yeah, you can get through a lot. Yeah, uh, Brit, uh, he does leave a noticeable bruise on Vince's face, so he definitely hit him. <laughs> he knocked him out. Yeah, uh, Undertaker says that Vince was knocked out for a minute. Or maybe yeah. not a minute, but for like a, a few seconds. Yeah, he knocked him on his ass. And you know what? Vince fucking deserved it and so forth. Yep. Yep. So Vince leaves. Everything starts to calm down a little bit as far as what's happening backstage. Most of the wrestlers are furious because this is breaking one of the cardinal rules of wrestling is you don't work the boys. You know, you don't do things to the rest of the locker room that they're not involved in. Like, you don't pull this kind of shit. And it leads to a lot of people threatening to boycott leaving. Uh, Mick Foley being one who boycotts Raw the, the next night, he doesn't show. He quit, technically, for 24 hours, and then they talked him into returning. Yeah. Uh, Brett being the one of the people with uh, cooler heads who is like, guys, don't risk your careers for my sake type of guy. Uh... And Vince, being the shrewd businessman he is, kind of, you know, he worked the gears a little bit. He tried turning them back to his side. Because one of the things that you do when you're leaving a company, when you're leaving a territory, when you're leaving a promotion, it's tradition to, you know, go out on your back as kind of like a thank you to the territory, to the promoter, to everybody. Like, you go out in the loss. That's kind of tradition. And they just couldn't work out something where Brett was happy with taking a loss on his way out. And um, to this day, he contends he would have been willing to do it. He just had certain conditions. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I remember uh, one of the things that he had talked about was he was willing to do an extra match outside of the contract to drop the belt just afterwards. Yeah, because this is in... So that he, yeah, this is in November, and his he's not starting for WCW until December. Yeah, so it would have been a free match that WWF didn't have to pay for, where he drops then then drops the belt. Yeah, like he, why not take him up on that offer? Like seriously, yeah. It just seems to me like there were there were a lot of mistakes along the way for, from everyone, but mainly Vince. Yeah, and like let's be honest here. Like at the end of the day all the fault lays at Vince's feet for the yeah. entire thing. You know, from beginning with the contract negotiations to actually just saying, screw it, we're not going to let Brett leave with the belt. We're doing it, you know, the sneakiest way possible. Mm -hmm. But again, remember, this is during a time where the man is tilted. 
because of what happened with the previous women's championship belt. Mm-hmm. He is tilted from the money loss that he's experiencing from Nitro overtaking them hand over fist. And he taking is back- all of his best wrestlers that yeah, he, he had is- in the 80s. Yeah, he is backed into a corner. So the days following is where things get weird. And weird in the aspect of like the one guy you wouldn't expect to do this is Bret Hart. And he starts going and telling anyone and everyone with a camera and a microphone who will listen how Vince screwed him over. How, like, he breaks all the rules of kayfabe, of keeping the storyline of the fourth wall. And Mm -hmm. Vince is left with no other repercussions but to sit down with a live interview on Raw and talk about his side of the story and just... Like, we're talking, like, all of the old-school rules of wrestling being thrown out. All of the secrets exposed. You know, not even trying to pretend that it's real anymore. Mm-hmm. Which is where we get the famous quote from Vince McMahon, where he says, Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart, in his opinion, by not following the rules of wrestling and the business. I mean, Vince has a very hard time accepting the fact that he is the one at fault here. Yeah. So Vince needs anything he can do to take a win out of this at this point. Mm-hmm. Because and he the does. fallout from this is huge. Yeah, and he does. Because the steroid trial just recently has outed him as the owner of the WWF. Mm-hmm. Before that, he was just an on-screen personality. He was a commentator. People didn't, like, the general public didn't know he was the owner of the WWF. And him sitting down and giving this interview post-Screwjob creates the character of Mr. McMahon. Yep. Yep. He, he becomes the evil owner billionaire of the WWF that starts creating all these machinations, who becomes the great foil for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. The leaned into the evil Billy. Exactly. Like, he... He never fully left it. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he turned his real-life self into the character on TV instead of just being which, some announcer dude. Which is honestly what, you know, some of the greatest characters are, are the ones that has some truth mixed into it, or a lot of truth, and they're exaggerated. Yeah. Um, one of the saddest things about this, though, is Brett gets started over at WCW, and they completely drop the ball with him. They don't know yeah. how to book him. They don't know what to do with him. And he is just floundering for a little bit until he gets injured in that match with Goldberg and has to retire. Yep. Like, honestly, it felt like they treated him like a jobber. Mm-hmm. Like... Like, it wasn't just they didn't know what to do with him. It's like they forgot he was there. His debut, like, time in the ring, he was a special guest referee for somebody else's match. Yep. Yeah. It's wild to me. It's wild to me. Because you have someone who was the the heavyweight world champion. This man was gold on your lap. Mm -hmm. You had a a sweetheart deal with him to be able to do almost anything you want with him. And he sold. I mean, he's literally up there with Shawn Michaels, like in the tickets being sold and all that. It's just two different classes of wrestling. That's all it is. Yeah, it's two different. They should have paired, they could have paired him up against anyone, anyone even remotely like Shawn Michaels. And it would have just skyrocketed. I, to this day, it's, so disappointing because it causes his career to be cut short. It causes so much animosity. I mean, when you think about it, if this never happened, Bret Hart, you know, he could be like Sting. He could still be wrestling to this day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I included his, uh, that kick in the, uh, in the intro for Mm -hmm. who's that wrestler. It's a brutal kick. Yeah, I mean Goldberg's known for not not playing fair. He's a stiff hitter, so mm-hmm. like going into it all, it's I mean it's to be expected you're gonna get hurt from the guy. But that boot is like he hits him. It's a it's a dead on hit. Yeah, it's 
this also starts the trend where, like, the WWF leans even harder into the more sexualized, the more immature, the more raunchy, violent content because Brett's mm-hmm. not there to, you know, be the world champion and not, like, play along with that. Um, and also, This is like, where you get the, the, uh, the swimsuit model style women's wrestlers instead. Yeah. This is the Attitude Era, so... I mean, it, there's some good stuff that comes out of it, obviously, because it's a great era of wrestling. But it, it just, when you realize the cost. Yeah, the inciting incident of probably the most famous and most popular era of wrestling in America is basically a billionaire screwing over one of his employees. Mm-hmm. Well, independent contractor, but you know what I mean. Yeah, because again, billionaires know how to get around healthcare. So yeah, now there's something interesting about all this. Like years later, like any sort of incredibly famous event, is the conspiracies develop. Yeah, there are a not insignificant number of professional wrestlers who believe the entire thing was a work, from start to finish. That Brett was in on it the whole time. I don't believe that, personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, When when you watch the match, I don't get the impression he was in on this whatsoever, especially as Earl is ending the match. Brett's still in the middle of doing the match, as it was instructed between the parties and how it would be done. Or at least, like, the the, the rough outline, rather. Because this was, like, the midway point was him mm-hmm. switching the sharpshooter on him. John would get out of it, and they continued the match down to the end. Because this was supposed to be like a 25-minute match. Yeah, no, like the pay-per-view went off the air early. I think uh-huh. it was like a whole like five minutes early or something like that. Yeah. And granted, yes, you technically got a lot of time in the match because of the pre-start with, mm-hmm. all, the, with all the brawling and stuff that happened, but this was supposed to be a 25-minute match, and I think it was like just under 20 I'm not sure, but yeah. I don't remember, but like, 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 the stuff you're going to remember the most is the ending and everybody running away, and you can actually visibly see the audience being super confused. Yeah. You can hear boos. Uh, you, like, they did a close-up of a few people where they're just, like, gasping, like, what just happened here? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of those boos are just from the initial reaction. Like, nobody knows that you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff in the moment. They're just pissed off because Shawn Michaels won, and Shawn Michaels is an egotistical prick who, you know, wiped his ass with the Canadian flag. Yeah, and, yeah. and that started a whole shtick for him. Yeah, I was going to say, that started a whole shtick after uh, Brett left where he kept doing it, being anti-Canadian. Yeah, and there were so many moments of, like, anti-Brett specifically after he went, you know, he was gone, where, like, I'm... Mm-hmm. Um, Sean told them to like hit his music and bring out Sean Michaels, and they brought out a little person in a wig and a mask, and just you know mocked Brett for a couple minutes there. Yeah, I, Sean Michaels seems like the type that maybe not nowadays so much as he's cleaned up and he's sober, mm-hmm. but he feels like the type that would definitely um, rub it in long after the fact that he got one over on you somehow because he feels like this is his win. And, it, and to me, it's not. Granted, the WCW part of Brett's career sucks and all that. Not his fault. But I think Brett comes out looking like the better person in all of this, no matter how you spin it. Yeah. like Just on a moral standpoint. Just from, like, any sort of standpoint. Like, sure, I know there's tradition of going out on your back and, you know, working with a promoter and you're on your way out. Mm-hmm. But... Like, Vince made no effort to, like, set up a mood where Brett would want to go out doing him a favor. He was screwing him before he was even in the ring. Yeah, and and I was going to say, Brett, at this point, he's been kicked too many times. Yeah. Like, you can start to see where he's like, no, 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 you're not doing that with my character. I'm sorry, but you're not. This is Brett the Hitman Hart here. You're not changing what he does. Yeah, and 
I think the way that Brett described what happened, like, just in the freshness of it, he was like, they went out there and they raped the hitman. They raped me in the ring. Yeah. I think that's an apt description, honestly, because it it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. And, like, Earl... I'm, Earl originally said that uh, he was not involved with this, and then Vince forced him to be involved. Yeah, like he was. I don't. He was. He claims he was informed on his way to the ring. That yeah, I was yeah. That Jerry Briscoe pulled him aside and told him what was going to happen, and told him this is how it's going to go. And Earl claims that like even at that moment he didn't know what he was going to do. Like, he didn't know what he was going to do while he was in the rink. He didn't know if he was going to go for it. And he, you know, he has, he said it was like a split-second decision. That's all he had. He was afraid for his job. All Like, he had all the things in his mind. I To me, I feel like he was involved from the start. That's one of those conspiracies, like, conspiracy end of it that mm-hmm. I do subscribe to, is I think he was involved from the start. Yeah. I, I think he helped craft the idea because of the fact that he's the ref inside the ring. He's, He's the, the third one man to make the shot. Yeah, like there's no way. There's no way. I don't know. It's. It's. What do you think, Walsh? Like what? Yeah. Like what are your thoughts on this after hearing this? Oh, it's a soap opera. Yeah, yeah, it's a soap yeah. opera. Which wrestling has been called many times before, so like, it's yeah. not. Got a silly story. Oh no, they're dead. They back. Oh, oh man, this cruise ship is a vampire boat. Oh no! <laughs> I always called it redneck anime. That's the way I look at that's it. That's a that's another that's another good description. Of it, to be honest with you, but it's just great. It's real to me. Damn it, it's real to me. Yeah. Um, something I wanted to say for this is our boy. Hulk Hogan and his take on the situation uh, years later uh, he said uh, I don't know how Brett could let that happen all he had to do was not let Sean pin him he could have just kicked out from a submission you know what yeah he's not he's not wrong he's not right Mm. he's not right but he's not wrong technically speaking if Sean had been pinning him. He had just kicked out. That's all on the premise that a pin was happening in that moment. Yeah. Kind of love that little liar boy. Do you guys have any last thoughts on what became of Vince McMahon and Bret Hart? Friends? Yeah, they reconciled. Uh, I was going to say, they buried the hatchet somewhat, but... Again, that's one of those things where I feel like that's more business related than friendship related. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's probably more tolerating each other. Yeah. I mean, he did bury the hatchet with Sean too, eventually. That's another one I believe that is business related, not friendship related. I don't think they're friends in real life anymore. I think when it comes to the business, they will play along and be friends. Yeah. But outside of the business, I don't think they talk. I could see that. For somebody I like if I was him, yeah. For somebody like Bret Hart, who takes wrestling as seriously as he does, it's like I feel like this moment like killed his career before the injury. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I I honestly believe that if the Montreal screw job didn't happen, Vince would have been better off in the mid run, keeping Bret around, and paying that sweetheart deal in perpetuity. Yeah, but without it, we don't get the creation of Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon, the character. We don't get that stone-cold rivalry that turns the tide for WWF and lets them actually win the Monday Night Wars. Well, and that's why I said the midterm, not the long-term, because I don't Mm -hmm. think long-term it would have been great, because the Attitude Era is the reason why we have anything we have now, wrestling-related, honestly. So... Because everyone started doing more attitude-related stuff. But I guess you could almost argue WCW started this whole attitude crap yeah. because of the way that they did shoots live and the way that 
especially like NWO when Hulk Hogan and every and Razor and everybody grouped up. Mm-hmm. Like, Holly. Yeah, because he thought he could be a be an actor, and that failed. So then he was like, "Yeah, I'm Hollywood Hulk Hogan." Like, no, you're not, you liar. <laughs> was this is this day four hundred and three of your of your career, sir? This year, like, come on. That was like the first time he turned heel, though, since like wrestling became like popular. So that was kind of ground, groundbreaking, right there. Yep. Yeah, I will agree with that, but. He had Kevin Nash with him. Mm-hmm. He had uh, Razor Ramon with him. So, like, it made sense to play the heel at that point. At least yeah. in my opinion. Not only that, it made a big draw for WCW. Like, hey, we're not only seeing Hulk Hogan. We're seeing the asshole version of Hulk Hogan. Yeah, real-life Hogan. <laughs> yeah. Which? Uh, Pre-racism. He's such a piece of shit. Anyway, pre always, always. <laughs> we can go for hours about this. Yeah, we can go for hours. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining us on your night off. Uh, if you have some theories, if you have details about what could have happened and what should have happened during the Montreal Screwdrop, let us know. Drop us a line. We're on the social media at Night Off Pod. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Amazon Music. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on YouTube. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Subscribe. Hit the button, that bell thing. Do that thing. Do all the stuff. Do all the engagement things. Uh, you can but. pick up. You can pick up our merch at nightoffpod.threadless.com. Links in the descriptions. Thank you. We love you, and we'll see you on your next night off. Say good night, boys. I love you.